Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. That's you, church. It's all about you guys. And you know this series that we're going into, Dave was so right, it's so pivotal to who we are as a church. We're going to be talking over the next couple of weeks about a church that is about everyone. And um, it's not a really a common subject to talk about within the church because a lot of people, including me in times gone by, I want the church to be about me. I want God to answer my problems and I need God to pray about my needs and I want to be the needy person that brings all my needs to church. And while that is very much so what the church is, we are also called to be about others. Why would you want to keep a good thing to yourself. So I want to open this series by first of all talking to us as a church and, and talking about why we as a church should be about others. But what I want you to see most of all is this. When you become about others, because people are what are closest to God's heart, God gets busy about you. And I want you to know that. I think sometimes that we struggle and we strive with our own problems and our own issues for such a long period of time. And I feel like sometimes God's like, if you would just look up and look out and get involved in the life of somebody else around you, you'll see that I will answer the needs that are closest to your heart. I don't know if you know, uh, maybe you've been this person, but people have a preconceived idea about the church. Like people think that church is for religious people, that church is for people who have got, who are good and who have got all their life in order and all their ducks in a row. And, um, you know, people don't want to come to church because they don't think that they would ever fit in. They have this preconceived idea like that the church is a little bit quirky and highly religious, that we have this religious etiquette about ourselves and people feel inferior when they come in for the first time and they don't understand the religious etiquette that the church historically has put on. You know, many years ago, um, Luke and I were in Australia, a long, long time ago, before this church. We found ourselves being invited over to a conference in Australia, and it was an experience for us. We felt very much out of our depth. We were asked to meet with people and sit around tables that we felt like we were completely unqualified to be sitting in the company of these people. We were going into um, meetings and venues and having conversations where we we felt completely out of our league. And at one particular time, we were invited to this very exclusive dinner party that was being held in, um, uh, in, in some conferencing facility. And it was set out like a wedding with big round tables. And there was 12 on each table. And um, there was Luke and I. We were the only English couple on our table. Everybody else was either Australian or American. And we began to have dinner, and dinner was served, and the starter was served. And Sarah's already laughing because she knows what I'm about to say. But the starter was served, and, um, and I got talking to the couple to my right, and Luke was engaged in conversation to the couple to his left. 
and I was eating away through my, through my starters and trying to listen and engage in this conversation at the same time. And then I noticed that when I'd finished that the, the waitresses were coming to collect the plates. And I looked around the table and everybody still had something on their plate, but my plate was empty. And I sort of looked at my plate and I leant across to my husband and I said, Luke, why has everybody left something on their plate? And my plate is empty. What have I done? He said, where's your shell? I said, what shell? He said, we've just been served crab out of a shell. Where's your shell? I said, I ate it. He was like, you ate it? I said, yeah, I, 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 I ate it. It was, I thought, you know, and then I'm sort of going, do you know, I thought I had difficulty listening to that woman because I was like, the crunch was so loud in my head. But, but, but I ate it, but I didn't know because nobody told me. And if you don't know, and then I begged him, please give me your shell. Please put, put your shell on my plate. Just don't let me feel a whopper. And he was like, no, no, not doing it, not doing it. You ate the shell. I was like, give me half the shell. Just put half your shell on my plate. And he's like, no, you ate the shell. You ate the shell. I felt like I'd eaten the plate the way he made me speak. But you know what? I was out of my depth in a league of people. I didn't understand the etiquette or the social environment that I was in. It made me feel awkward and it made me feel uncomfortable. And historically, the church has made, religion has made Christianity awkward and uncomfortable for people coming into church. I don't know how to speak like everybody else speaks. I don't know what to do when everybody else is doing the thing. I, I, I feel really awkward. And, and so they think that Christianity is this, this, this list of rules that you have to follow. And therefore, being a Christian must mean that you're, you're pretty boring and pretty miserable because you're going to go through life constantly feeling flawed and constantly feeling a failure for never living up to the set of rules that has been given. And people don't want to come into church to feel awkward, right? They don't want to feel, come into church to feel uncomfortable or to feel foolish, you know, when I read my Bible, it says this in a really well-known scripture that we all know so well, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but will have everlasting life. Whosoever means whoever, all of us no one is excluded. God said, I've come and I've sent my son for whosoever. Do you know that passage of scripture could actually be written like this? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son to be about everyone so that anyone who believes in him would not perish, but will have everlasting life. We could take the words off the wall in our foyer and we could replace them with whosoever, because it means exactly the same thing. This gospel, this God, this Jesus is, always has been, and always will be about everyone. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, he really ticked off the religious leaders. You see, they'd set themselves up on a bit of a pedestal. They walked around. They were quite prideful. They wore certain clothes. They had a certain type of language, which is more like a cryptic code that you would have to try and crack if you wanted to enter into temple worship with them. They made it really complicated uh, for people to come to 
uh, to God. And, and this really ticked Jesus off. It frustrated him because God never has been about a select few. The church was meant to be about everyone, everyone coming together, everyone working together, for it's in the everyone where God commands his blessing. You know, over the years, I've observed my son playing football since he was about four years old. And um, he would, he would t- describe a good game um, as him scoring a goal. When he was smaller, I would say, Sol, how did football go today? And he would say, rubbish, I didn't score a goal. Um, but as he grew and as he matured over time, he began to understand that it wasn't about him scoring his goal, but it was about the relationship between the team players and how well they played together. Then he would start to say to me, well, someone gave a pass and someone assisted and someone else scored the goal. And the me became more about the we as he grew in his maturity. Team is made up of individual players all coming together and doing their part. God never called you to be a sole player in life. He never called you to do things on your own. He called you to be part of a team of like-minded people. And when you come together, the others that you're surrounded by are assisting you on winning in life. You know, when God told us to build this church about everyone, we knew that what he was in fact saying was, make a church that makes it easy for people to come to and follow Christ. Make a place that makes it easy for people to come to and follow Christ. And it's in our individuality, our uniqueness of our individuality, coming together in unity that makes a great team. And Jesus himself knew the power and the possibilities of being in a team. Whenever you read about the life of Jesus, he was always surrounded by 12. So if Jesus understood that in order for me to be the best in my life, the most effective in my life, the best in my ministry, in order for me to fulfill my God potential goals, I need to be part of a team. How much more do we need to be surrounded by others? And I'm beyond baffled when people don't feel they need to belong to a local church to have an authentic and real relationship with God. Because when I read through the scripture, his power and his presence and his blessings lands on the coming together. And when you come together, those blessings, they reach out into the personal parts of your life too. You know, the desire to one day be married, the dream to have a baby, the the, the wanting to set up your own business, the knowing that you're forgiven, the walking in a peace that surpasses all understanding, knowing eternal joy, those blessings trickle into your life where you are knitted into or planted as Psalm 92 puts it, planted into the local church, planted into the house of God. And I want you to know that when you chose to plant yourself into this house, there's a whole team working together to see you win to set you up to live out your best life 
possible. You know, someone is praying for you, defending you. You might not even know it, but they are. Someone's defending you from the opposition in prayer. Even now as we speak, someone's going in for a tackle because they can see something in your blind spot that you can't see for yourself. And when somebody else asks you to help out or serve or get on a team, they've just given you a pass And now you have the opportunity to run with responsibility. And everything that is happening is setting you up to win your personal goals in life and give you the best life possible. And not only do you see the fulfillment of others reaching their goals, but you get to experience the joy when you've had the involvement of setting someone else up to win. And that's what this is about. Because when I study the life of Jesus... What I always see is that he always included others. He spent every single day of his life setting other people up to win, reaching into their lives, into their situations to to set them up to win. He never snuck off and did a little miracle in private. And neither did he just go and have conversation with the upper echelon religious people. No, 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 no. He surrounded himself with his 12 men. And those 12 men, they were fishermen and tax collectors and doctors and farmers and everyday working men. And these men together, they went into the towns and the cities and they went and looked and found the ones that life seemed to overlook. When Jesus wasn't physically ministering to people, he was doing team talks with his team. He'd like be on a staff retreat of a mountain somewhere, like for some bonding thing. And he'd like, I'm going to teach you and I'm going to talk to you how to live your best life possible and how and why you should be looking out for others. And he did this in the form of telling them parables or stories And one such story he told is found in Luke 10. And it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's a story about a guy who was found lying by the side of the road because something had happened to him. He had, in fact, been attacked and he was left almost for dead lying by the side of the road. He was someone in need. And it talks about how many people passed by. They saw the situation, but they just passed by. By. And the Bible tells us that these people were good people. They were well-to-do people. They were religious people. But they didn't want anything to do with the guy who was in need. And a lot of the excuses that they gave are the same excuses that we give today when we see someone in need. Because every day of our lives, we pass people who are in need. We pass them in our street. We pass them at the school gates. We pass them in the workplace. Do you know we walk past them in the foyer? on a Sunday. We see someone in need, but we do as some of these people do. And we say things like, I was in a hurry to get to where I was going and I just couldn't afford the time to stop. Or, you know, it looked complicated. I just didn't want to get involved. It looked a bit complicated. Or, you know, he looked a bit messed up and I didn't want to get my hands messy. And these people in this story, they literally pass by by crossing over to the other side of the road. And it's a huge thing because what they were saying was, it's not my problem. It's nothing to do with me. I don't know what's going on over there, but I need to be over here. And this has got nothing to do with me. And it's a problem that we have in our society today because people are picking and choosing who they stop for and who they don't. 
You know it is. Everyone is choosing who they're into and who they'll stop for and who they'll pay attention to and who they won't. You know, I'll stop and I'll, 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 I'll pay some attention to you if there's a benefit in it for me. I, I, I'll stop and I'll, I'll, I'll help you with your need if you are known or you have a title or a position or a platform and I can get some form of recognition for stepping in and helping you. I'll help you if you have the same skin colour as me. I'll help you if you're from the same social economic background as me. But if you're not, I'm going to turn a blind eye and I'm going to pass by. And I think what Jesus was showing his disciples from this story was, if I've come for the whosoevers of this world, I need a team of people upon the earth who are also going to be about the whosoevers, who are not going to assume, who are not going to look at a situation and judge, but they are going to say, if you're hurt, I I can help you. If you're in need, I I think I've got something I could offer you. And we as a church have to start modelling something that the Good Samaritan in this story modelled, and that's called involvement. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, we are not going to be that church that just walks by. You know, the Good Samaritan, he came along that same road and he saw the situation and he stopped and he helped the man onto his feet and he put the man on his donkey and the donkey carried the man to the inn and the innkeeper took the man in and dressed his rooms and get wounds and gave him a safe place to rest. And I want you to know that we're going to develop and are developing and have a culture in this church where one might identify there is a need over there and someone else might carry that need in prayer and someone else might minister healing to that need through the, 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 the word of God. And in this house, you will find a safe place to rest, find re- refuge and heal your, from your wounds. And that's the type of culture that we want to get to play because Jesus came for the whosoevers. So why would we not be about the whosoevers? I've told this story before from the platform, but it just seems so fitting for what I wanted to say today. And that was about my grandparents. And in the 1930s, the mid-1930s, a long time ago, they were two teenagers And, um, you know, they'd started to go on this journey of exploring faith. I think going to church back then was a much more common thing than it is now. We have a lot of other distractions. But back then in the 1930s, they were on a journey of exploring faith. They were wanting to find out who this God is and what God was like. And um, by the time my grandma was 16, she fell pregnant. And do you know the church turned their back on them as a young couple who were desperately seeking God and trying to do the right thing. She walks in, she finds herself pregnant and the church closed its doors and said, we don't want your sort here. We don't want you here. You know, it carried a big, um, there was shame, so much shame attached to it back there and then in the 1930s. So much shame attached to being pregnant outside of wedlock. But if you can't go to the church for help, where can you go for help? You know, their families turned the back on them and the church closed the doors to them. And do you know what? And then um, not long after that came World War II and my granddad was 
um, away with the war, and it took them many, many years later before they finally felt bold enough and got up enough courage to trepidly walk through a church door again. And I am so glad they did. But do you know what? That happened right here in Liverpool. It was a church in Liverpool that shut the doors to my grandparents. And I just give joy to God that they found themselves on the right path. And their seed is now building a house in the center of Liverpool that is for the whosoevers, that will open its doors to the everyones, that will say, you're struggling in life. It doesn't matter what you've been through. Come on in. In here, you will find refuge. In here, we will minister healing to your situation. Jesus Jesus was the ultimate role model throughout his time on the earth. He got involved with all sorts of people that the religious church shut its doors to. He got involved with the tax man and the prostitute and the leper and the sick and the lame and the maimed, the people that no one would go near. Jesus was right in the thick of them getting involved. You know, he was a man who was so intelligent that he could sit at the city gates and hold counsel and articulate and debate about scripture and law, yet he was a man so sensitive he could get on his knees with the prostitute and speak face to face with her when she was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus understood humanity. Jesus got involved with people when they asked him to get involved, but he also got involved with people when they didn't ask him to get involved. He just couldn't help getting involved. It was just like, you know, you might be that really annoying Christian, you know, oh, and people are like, but, but that was Jesus. He's like, I'm going to get involved because I actually think I've got something to offer. And I want to take you to a story now in Luke 7. And it's a story about Jesus and his disciples. And they have just left Capernaum and they are now going up this hill, hill towards the city of Nain. And it says that there's a large crowd with them because wherever Jesus went, there was more than just the 12. There's always a large crowd. He was that magnetic kind of guy. And um, it says that as they're going up the city, to up the hill towards the city of Nain, there was, at the same time they were entering, there was another large crowd that were exiting the city of Nain. And I want to take you to this story because I want to draw out three points of how we can get involved with others. What would that look like for us? <clears throat> so in verse 11 of Luke 7, it says, Not long after that, Jesus went to the village of Nain. His disciples were with him, along with quite a large crowd. Now, this large crowd, when I read this story, gives me a picture of the church. If you can imagine this large crowd being the church. They had just been with Jesus. He had been teaching them about the best life possible. He'd been ministering to them about their faith life, about build your house upon a rock and not on the sand. They'd been with Jesus and they just healed the centurion service at servant. It was one of those like whoopee whoopee crowds, you know, they'd just come out of church and life was a feel good factor. They were probably singing as they were going up the hill. There might have been a few tambourines thrown in there. But they were having a great day in church. It was a really good day to be in church. But who knows? The highs of a Sunday always collide with the reality of Monday. Like for as great as church was on Sunday, 
Monday is coming with its people and its pressure and its problems. And this is what we see here. Two separate, very different crowds that are about to collide. In verse 12, it says, As they approached the village gate, they met a funeral procession. And a woman's only son was being carried out for burial and the mother was a widow. So here's this woman. She's already lost her husband. She's now leaving the city to go and bury her grown son. And there's a whole large crowd of mourners, a crowd of people who were not feeling pumped and excited that day, a crowd who were grieving because they had lost someone who was precious to them. And you know, as this happy, clappy church-going crowd are going up the hill and this group of mourners are exiting the city and coming down the hill, there must have been this moment of awkwardness as the two passed by. I don't know if you've ever felt awkward for being blessed. You know, ever felt awkward, you know, for being, for God has done something great in your life. But then you go into the workplace on a Monday and the people that you're surrounded with haven't sat under a life-giving message and been in a life-pumped environment through their weekend. And their persona is very different to yours. And you feel awkward because you're carrying the blessings of God, but you know that the friend you're working with is going through something. This is, must have been what it looked like, this point of awkwardness. So the first thing that comes is this, this interruption. Jesus is going into name, and the crowd of mourners were not on his agenda for that day. He didn't plan to meet them. He didn't get out of bed and plan that this would happen. He already had an agenda, and he was on his way somewhere. But this is a crowd of whosoever's who just happened to be passing by. And I think Jesus showed his disciples in this moment, you know, the presence of a problem can either be an interruption to your day or an opportunity that's come your way. It's how you choose to view it. You know, Jesus spent his whole, day, his whole life being interrupted by the unexpected. Everywhere Jesus went, I, like I don't know about you, but I like, I'm planned in my head. When I go to bed at night, I know my day the next day and I'm to the clock. So, you know, I've got so much time to get this done and this done and this done and this done and, and my whole day's planned and I hate interruptions. <laughs> you know, Jesus spent his whole day being, a uh, whole life being interrupted. When he was on his way to Jairus's house, there was a, a woman with the issue of blood who came and interrupted him and he was actually like, oh, I'm on my way to Jairus's house, but now she's interrupted me and I, and I have to do a miracle here. And when he went to Jericho to, to speak to the people in Jericho, this silly little man hiding up a tree was just an interruption because now he had to go on an unplanned dinner date and he wasn't expecting to. But it totally interrupted him and the you know he, he was up the hillside preaching his best sermon ever and the crowd interrupted him because they were hungry and he had to stop what he was doing there just to feed them and then the disciples interrupted his sleep when he was on the boat because because they got, were freaking out about the storm and you know and his mother interrupted him when he was at a dinner party because the hosts had run out of wine and she was like do your thing Jesus do your thing and his whole life was a complete interruption but Jesus saw every interruption as an opportunity to show others that God cares Jesus was not a time waster every moment of every day was filled with purpose when you read the gospels you read about him going to dinner parties you read about him 
teaching and preaching and gathering in the synagogues and going to weddings and going to parties and walking up the hillside and going sailing and going fishing. I mean, we get the full detail of Jesus's life. But the one thing we never read about is him ever having a day where he was not being Jesus. Like Jesus never had to try to be who he was. He was the son of God and he didn't have to try very hard. He didn't have a religious head that he took off when he got to the evening do of the wedding and he wanted to let his hair down a bit with the boys. He didn't have that religious head that he took off. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like, he didn't have sympathy or empathy to the crowd like, you, you know, Monday to Thursday, but, but, but Friday and Saturday are out of office hours, so please don't call for a miracle. No, he was full. Jesus, wherever he was, he was engaged with people in whatever sphere life found him. And I want you to know today that you are not a child of the Most High God on a Sunday and a sales rep on Monday. Like you are who you are. You might do other stuff through the week, but you are who you are. And it was because Jesus was fully aware of who he was all of the time that made his life so effective. And you know what? The same power and presence that was in him lives in you too. And God says you too can be fully effective when you're at home with your family, when you're in the workplace with your mates, when you're at the school gates, you can be fully effective too. The second thing that happened was a conversation. In verse 12, it says that when Jesus saw her, this woman, his heart broke and he said to her, don't cry. You know, even in the midst of this excitable crowd, Jesus was sensitive enough to the one who's not having such a great day. You know, he was able to be in the crowd who are actually all celebrating him, but he was able to identify there's someone who's not having such a good day. And we don't know the reason that Jesus was going to name that day, but we do know that on his way to where he was going, he stopped and he identifies a problem and then he initiates a conversation. And I think that God is looking down for a church that is looking up. I think God is looking for a church that isn't like this, looking at me, myself and I, but I'm like this across the room, around the foyer, out in my street, sitting in the restaurant. I'm looking and identifying and seeing where people are up to. A church that knows how to celebrate the good times, but we can empathize with one another's hard times as well because that's what Jesus did. Do you know Jesus wept when he got to his to his friend's Lazarus's tomb, that's a mouthful to say. When he got to Lazarus's tomb, it says that Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because he was the son of God and he had the power and the ability to, to, to bring life back to Lazarus, but he still wept. Why did he weep? He wept because he had compassion because Lazarus was his friend and I know you've been through something and I'm so sorry that you've had to go through what you've gone through and my heart aches because you're my friend and I didn't want you to have to go through what you went through. You know, sometimes being about everyone means we're just going to get alongside someone and cry sometimes. I've had people just sit with me and cry because because that's what empathy does. It feels, it feels. Jesus knew what it was to get his hands dirty when he got involved with people. He reached into the mud and he put mud on a blind man's eyes. 
And sometimes being about everyone means if I get involved in your life, it's going to get a bit, bit dirty for me. It's gonna, I'm going to have to roll my sleeves up and it's going to get a little bit mucky for me too. Jesus sat down by a well because he was thirsty and he wanted water. But he first identifies a woman who's also sat at the well and she is broken. Her life is broken from the inside out. And so he first waters her with the words of eternal life before he sees to his own need. And being about everyone means I'm not going to pick up my Bible every day just to feed me, but I'm going to pick up and open my word because I've got something I need to say into somebody else's life. I've got a word of eternal life that I can speak into that situation over there. And when Jesus was speaking, he then did something else. There was an interaction that happened next. I don't know what Jesus initially said to, I don't know what Jesus initially said to the, um, to the woman when he first met her. I don't know. Maybe he said something like, hey, you know what? I know we don't really know each other. I know we're just strangers passing by at this moment. But um, actually, <clears throat> I've got something that you need to know. And you need to know God really cares. And I wanted to ask you, do the people in your workplace know that God really cares just because you're there? Do, do, do the people in your university know that God really cares just because you're there? Do your neighbours know that God really cares just because they happen to live next to you? Because where there is brokenness, you can speak wholeness. And where there is emptiness, you can speak from a place of fullness. And where there is weakness, you have a strength that you can offer that they might not know. We've all got something we can offer because God is about everyone. He's not about the good people. He's not just about the religious people, but God is about everyone. God is about the whosoever's believe in him. But how will the whosoever's ever believe in him if you're never talking about the goodness of him? So we've got to be a church and we've got to be a people who are willing to get into society and open our eyes and open our mouths and start talking about the goodness of God. In verse 13, it says, then he went over to the coffin and he touched it. And the pole bearers stopped. I bet they did. And he said to the man in the coffin, young man, I tell you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began talking. And Jesus presented him to his mothers. This woman didn't even ask a miracle, but Jesus is like, yeah, well, I'm Jesus and I've got the presence of God inside me and I see a need, so why wouldn't I help? Why wouldn't I help? You know, he could have weighed up his options in that moment. You know, have you ever been in a, in a situation and you've had like a conversation going on with yourself? Should I, shouldn't I? I'm not really sure what to do. Jesus could about been like, does she know who I am? Has she heard about me? Does she go to a church? I wonder if she's a believer. I wonder if she's not. Like this could have been going on through his head. We're out in public. We're on the side of a hill. This can be a little bit awkward. What if she tells me to mind my own business? What if she tells me to get lost? And he would have missed the opportunity of the moment. And that woman would have missed the moment of her miracle. You know, if you think about something for too long, you'll talk yourself out of it. But every one of us have life-giving words to speak into another's dead situation. Because every day of your life, 
you are encountering someone whose marriage has failed, someone who's lost their job, someone who's struggling with anxiety, someone who doesn't know how to raise their kids well. You're meeting people every day, someone whose dreams died, whose relationships died, whose passion for life has died, whose hope has all gone. And they just happen to meet you. It just so happens that you shop in the very shop they work in. It just so happens you get the same train into work every day as them. It just so happens your desk is next to their desk. It just so happens your two mums at the school gates. It just so happens they're on the same university course as you. And you have the words of eternal life because you can speak life-giving words, words of hope into a hopeless situation, words of life where there seems to be no life. You can speak words of encouragement. You can talk about having a life with a vision and a future and how your life doesn't have to be circumstantially based upon your past. You have these words inside of you and you know this. Why? Because someone once spoke them to you. Someone once spoke them to you and that's why you find yourself here today. Because someone told you about a God who cares. And I'll finish with this story. But right now, in verse 16, it finishes by saying this, that they all. And when it says all, it means both crowds. The crowds of mourners and the happy clappy church crowd. Both crowds, all of them knew that God was at work among them and they got noisily grateful. Hello, they got noisily grateful, church. They didn't just like quietly go, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for answering my prayer. Oh, isn't this a great day? No, 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 no. They got noisily grateful. I wanna ask you, when was the last time that you got noisily grateful in public, in private, in the church, where you began to audibly give thanks to God for something that He's done in your life? Because every Every single one of us are here today because God has done something in your life. God has been a God who's demonstrated Himself and shown Himself strong on your behalf. He's knelt down and He's bent down and He's got on your level in your pain and in your shame. And He's overcome your awkwardness. And what do we do? We come to church because we're British and we're very quiet. And we don't want to offend the person next to us in the office. And so we don't say anything because we're British. But you are a citizen of heaven, first and foremost. And so we need to start acting like we're a citizen of heaven. And I'm not just saying to be all out there and mad and geeky and get yourself locked up. But what I am saying is this. Girls, you know it. God's given you a voice and your voice needs to be heard, right? And so God has come and He's, he's saying to you, now look, God, you've done something for others, but I've done something for you. But I need you to be audible about the what I've done for you. Because this is what happens. It goes on to say that the news of Jesus spread all through the country. Because of what had happened, because the crowd got noisily thankful and grateful, the Word of Jesus spread all throughout the country. When you pass on, what you pass on gets passed on. What you give to someone else is a seed they will give to someone else. When you can encourage someone, they in turn will encourage someone else. When you can get down on your knees and meet someone in their need, they will get down on their knees and meet someone in your, their, their need. 
their need. And, and God is the God of hope and God is the God of love. And when you can minister this into the life of somebody else, they in turn will go and pass it on. That's what grows the church. That's what makes His name great. That's how we include others. That's why Jesus came for the whosoevers. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.